Jim Yost said that if the Western world is going to see revival, then this generation's got to up the ante on sacrifice. We're going to have to give more. We're going to have to put more on the altar. You ready for that? Do you believe it? <laughs> I think we have to realize that if we, want, if we really want to see the gospel impact the nations, well, that's not really a question. The gospel is going to impact the nations. The question is, do we want to be a part of it? The question is, do you want to be used by God to that end? And if that's true, uh, then it's going to take uh, full surrender. It will not happen in a lukewarm place. It will not happen trying to live safe and normal um, and, and expect to see uh, the miraculous happen. We're going to have to get out there on the edge. We're going to have to get out there in deeper waters. Uh, it doesn't mean that you can't uh, live in a sense in what the world would call maybe a normal existence. You might have a normal job. You might do normal people things, but it won't be normal. It'll be filled with the supernatural. But if for it to be filled with the supernatural, you've got to be willing to let the Holy Spirit have every ounce of your life. You've got to take risks. You've got to be obedient. You've got to do what he says to do. You've got to love uh, the people in your, in your space that are not, uh, not really attractive uh, to be loved on, that are not really calling out, hey, somebody love me. We've got to go to the marginalized. We've got to make that impact. And the level of sacrifice has got to go way up if we're going to be part of impacting the nations. Wouldn't it be a shame? Wouldn't it be a shame if one day all of the saints from uh, all time were gathered together worshiping God and we were the generation that lived normal? You know? Because I think in eternity we're going to have that perspective. We're going to realize that this is what it was all about. That the worship of God is what it was all about. And we were given a few short breaths on the earth and we used that breath to live a wonderfully normal existence. And it was awesome because we didn't take any risk. We never failed. And here we are, God. <laughs> right? I don't, that doesn't sound like any good to me. I feel like, man, if we're, if we're going to get to it, then let's, let's be the generation that gets to it at the end. And we're bruised and beaten and barely alive. <laughs> but it's because we risked everything. It's because we put everything on the line for his name to be known, right? I don't know, I just, uh, but, but for that to happen, the level of sacrifice is going to have to go way up. So I'll see you at the park uh, this afternoon. Whoo, that was cold, man, that was cold. Go to Hebrews chapter five, and I'm not kidding. I'll see you there. All right. So we, man, we've done a lot. I, we, have, we have gone through quite a bit. Uh, we've been in the book of Hebrews, uh, specifically the first few verses of chapter 6. Uh, but we also had World Mandate uh, last weekend, and so we're coming fresh off of that. We heard from Xavier last week, uh, last Sunday, which was, which was really, really, really good. And I would remind you, if you've missed any of that, now this is with the exception of World Mandate. We don't have World Mandate available on the podcast, but... Um, anything that we've done on Sunday morning is available on our podcast. Uh, so with these long series that we do, uh, and I don't know when they're going to end, so uh, I can't really give you the, the schedule. I have an idea, but um, they last a long time. If you happen to miss a Sunday, uh, then, then 
feel free to jump on uh, the website, fhrevive.com, and you should be able to find uh, everything so that we, you kind of fill in the blanks. So here's what we've done. So we've kind of given an overview uh, of, of the book of Hebrews in general. It was really quick. It's not our goal here is to study the whole book. Um, but then we, we started focusing in on uh, the, why the writer took a pause to, uh, in his explanation of who Christ is. Uh, why did he take a pause and kind of go through this list? And he doesn't elaborate on the list. There's a list of basic things um, in, in the beginning of chapter 6, and he doesn't stay long on the list. He doesn't say, uh, he doesn't give details on every single uh, item that he covers in this list, but that's what we're doing. Right? Because he talks about this being uh, basic foundational principles. And we, we've covered it, and I, I want to make sure you know, I don't believe, nor do I think it was the intent of the writer to say that this is every single basic uh, element of Christian doctrine. This is not an all-encompassing list of, of basic Christian doctrine. But it's a pretty good one. Uh, it's a pretty good list, and, uh, and, and so we're stopping, and we're going through each element uh, on the list, okay? So we, uh, we are in uh, Hebrews chapter 6, but actually go back a page, go to your left, uh, maybe one page, maybe not. Uh, if you're like Peyton and your Bible is like this big, then the whole thing is on one page. Um, Peyton, where are you at? Lift up that Bible. I don't know. <laughs> How do you see in that thing? I love that Bible. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 5. Man, that ain't right. Calling somebody out about their, that ain't right. So we're going to start. We're going to start in verse one, and we're just we we got to have momentum. I don't want us to lose context on on the passage. So we've been reading this every single week. All right. So Hebrews uh, chapter five, verse one: For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sin, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Mechizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Mechizedek. Here it kind of starts to be our break from this thought process. Verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. 
And this we will do if God permits. So this is our list. List uh, of, of elementary uh, elements laying again a foundation here. And we have covered uh, foundation of repentance from dead works. We've covered faith toward God. Uh, and those two go together. We've, been, we've covered uh, the last week, or sorry, two weeks ago, we covered instruction about washings. Okay, so I want to go just a quick review on instruction about washings, and then we'll jump into the laying on uh, of hands. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the resurrection of the dead. So we talked about washing and, and the importance, and we're going to do this again today, the importance of seeing all of these elements through a Hebrew grid because, uh, and I, I taught on that a couple weeks ago, but we, we have to first understand this uh, through a Hebrew uh, grid. And we understood that washing all the way uh, back into the law, washing was about what? It was about cleansing, right? It was about being, uh, being clean. And in the law, it was, it was spiritual as well as practical. So there were spiritual practices of cleansing. If we look into the tabernacle that God, uh, that God set up, the priests would go through uh, a very formal ritual of washing and cleansing in different stages in order that they would be made ready to make sacrifices to God in order to be present in the temple and do uh, their duties. So it was a, it was a cleansing, right? There was also um, practical ways in which cleansing happened so that God's people uh, would remain disease-free, right? So there were, there were practical instructions on, uh, on, on dietary laws. We know, we know that the law covered lots of different specifics, but cleansing was also, uh, was also a part of that. Washing, when to wash, how to wash, after what uh, activities. And, uh, and so it, but water and washing was always about, uh, was always about cleansing, then we have, uh, we fast forward uh, and we see John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is doing what we see as a very Christian activity. We go, okay, John the Baptist is, is baptizing, right? And this is a very Christian thing, we, we, we think. But again, we miss it if we don't look through a Hebrew grid. Why is he calling people for the baptism of repentance? Because Jesus hasn't even come yet. Jesus, well, he, he's present, but Jesus hasn't even uh, announced who he is, his ministry formally hasn't even begun, and John the Baptist is saying, be baptized uh, for repentance. Why? Why is he calling on, uh, really on all the earth, but specifically to Jewish people? He's saying, be baptized, uh, because he's talking about a cleansing. He's talking about a preparation. We need to be made right, because the Messiah is here. This is, this is the time, the chosen one, the one that God has sent is coming, and this, is, this baptism, this cleansing is a preparation. It's being cleansed in preparation for the coming of the Messiah. But he says there's a, there's a different level here that Jesus is going to take that to, that one comes after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And we know that we are cleansed. Where does our cleansing come from? It doesn't come from water. Our cleansing, our washing comes by what? We talked about it two weeks ago. Come on. The blood, Right? We're cleansed and washed by the blood of Jesus, right? That sounds like a, it sounds like a, a strange thing, and I made that uh, statement a few weeks ago. If you're brand new in this Christian thing, and we, you walk in, you go, what do, you, what do I got to do? Well, you got to be washed by the blood of Jesus. What? 
that, that sounds, it sounds like a very, very strange thing, but we know that just water up to this point was only uh, ceremonial and only could cleanse uh, for, a, for a momentary time. There was continued necessity for there to be washing and washing and washing over and over and over and over again. And what the blood of Jesus does is the blood of Jesus stands alone as the one thing, the one thing that is pure enough and right enough that can cleanse us from all sin, all sin, past, present, future, the body of sin, the the entity of sin has been destroyed by the blood of Jesus. And so we're washed, we're immersed in the blood of Jesus when we receive Christ for salvation. And then we do this really strange thing. We jump in a pool of water. It's called baptism. Now, why do we do that? Well, we've already been washed in the blood of Jesus. Why in the world do we get baptized? What is this thing that we do? I thought that was John the Baptist, and we don't necessarily need to do that anymore because we've been washed in the blood. Well, baptism we talked about last week has two major points of significance. Number one, baptism uh, was done by Jesus. Even Jesus uh, was, was baptized. So it's, we know that it's hugely significant. In the New Testament, over and over and over again, people were baptized after salvation in Jesus. But the point is, Why? Well, first, it's a first step of obedience. The first thing that you've got to do in your Christian life is set a stage, uh, set the stage for obedience. I talked about it a few weeks ago. Imagine starting your life that's supposed to be full of obedience. The only way for you to live a quote-unquote successful Christian life is to abide in Christ. It means to do what he says. That's the only way that good fruit is going to be produced in your life. That's the absolute only way is through obedience. And imagine what it would look like for us to go, okay, I'm going to receive Christ for salvation and no thanks for the rest of it. The very first act as a Christian, I'm going to deny obedience and say, no, I'd rather not do that. What else would you have for me to do? And I talked about, I feel like there's so many people that are walking in disobedience and going, man, I can't hear God. I don't, I'm not, this relationship with the Holy Spirit is not really thriving. I'm having trouble hearing him, blah, blah, blah. And they go, okay, well, what's the last thing you did when God asked you to do something? Well, I said, no, there it is. You've got to start your Christian life by saying yes to God. Because it's a starting of saying yes to God and following. Th- and, and you go, well, what about baptism? I'm going to talk about the significance of it. But at the core, it's saying yes to what God has asked you to do. If, if there was no such thing as baptism, if it was become a Christian and stand on your head, I would be getting up here preaching, you've got to get on your head right now. It doesn't matter what the act is. The point is that it's Christ who has called us to do it. And that step of obedience is absolutely necessary. Now, it's not standing on your head. It happens to be incredibly significant. And baptism is a symbolic declaration of what has happened in your life. And I talked about it a couple weeks ago. Again, I know this is all review, but if we were to take you under, and you're going to see two uh, young people today be baptized, but if we were to leave them in the water, they would die. They, They would drown. You went to a place of death. In sin, you are dead And by the power of God, you're raised to new life. And that water washes totally and completely over you as the symbolism of what Christ's blood has done. So you go to a place of death, raised to new life. You're buried with him and you're raised to new life, cleansed and full of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the symbolic act of baptism. And you're declaring this before your brothers and sisters saying, this is who I am. It's not... It's not me any longer that lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. And this is the purpose of baptism. It's obedience, and it's a declaration of my salvation. 
So instructions about washing is no wonder that this is in a list of very basic things. But then he takes a turn on us. And if you've been in the, uh, well, I won't say that. Uh, then he takes a turn on, this, is, this may be totally normal and this may be totally brand new for some of you. But he calls this a basic thing. He says instructions about washings, comma, the laying on of hands. All right, that's what we're going to take apart today, the laying on of hands. Now, for those of you that are baptismatic, you're like, cool, let's talk about it, right? Let's talk about laying on of hands. That's a joke. That's a joke. Sorry. <clears throat> and then those of you that are Baptists is like, nah, we ain't talking about that. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That was not as good of a joke. All right. <laughs> I grew up in a world where this was totally foreign. Uh, in any mention of something like this, it was like, uh, and the, you know, the snake handling's in the, in the next room. So, uh, you know, like, that was, that, those two things were, were associated. I mean, any, any level uh, of, of, of spirituality that looked anything like this was seen as, uh, I wouldn't say just seen as negative, but totally left out, totally not, not talked about, okay? In the Christian world that I grew up in, it was get saved, believe in Jesus, behave well, and, and stay there till you die, right? And, uh, I don't know, that's not really what this book says. So uh, here we go. So it says laying on of hands. Now let's look at this, because look at me. Meet my eyes. This is not scary, okay? This is not scary. So everybody that's a little nervous right now, just breathe, all right? We're not going to be, <laughs> you're like, somebody's going to touch me. I know it. Somebody's going <laughs> to, and it is going to happen. So uh, <laughs> here we go. Here's what I want you to do. Let's just tear the band-aid off right now. I want you to shake the hand of a person next to you and tell them your name. Everybody, everybody in the room, tell them your name. Come on, come on, everybody, everybody. Shake their hand, tell them your name. Don't do like a weird handshake, right? Just shake their hand, meet the pocket, okay? Meet the pocket. Clay, come here real quick, real quick, real quick. Hey, just real quick, look at me, look at me. I, I, need, I need you back real fast. Let me just real fast. I'm trying to teach this to my son. He has small hands. It's kind of hard. Uh, But let me just tell you, some of you got some weird handshakes going on, all right? And number one, this is Texas, and weird handshakes don't, they don't, you don't need, get them out, all right? Uh, Number two, maybe you've never been instructed. There, when you do this, there forms a pocket. This is the pocket of the handshake, okay? The goal is to meet the pocket of the other individual, okay? If you short it and don't meet the pocket, they're going to get a hold of your knuckles and they're going to crush your hand, all right? And that's weird for the person that gets your knuckles and your hand collapses in theirs. That's, that's really, really, really weird. And then if you go too far, if you go too far and you get don't, that's weird too, all right? So the goal is to meet the pocket and then firmly grasp. That is a handshake, all right? Don't hold on too long. Just, just, that's a handshake. All right, thank you, Clay. All right, shake the hand of the person next to you, meet the pocket, tell them your name. Go ahead. You're going to try it again. Meet the pocket. There we go. That's good. I'm seeing it. Don't be dainty. Ladies, you don't have to be dainty. Just meet the pocket. All right, here we go. All right. All right. The pocket gives you strength. So you can have a very, very delicate, feminine handshake, ladies, and the pocket gives you strength. All right, there you go. All right, here we go. Here's the deal. There's two ways that God has designed for us to interact with each other. There's only two. This is, this, is, this is pretty crazy. There's only two ways, and you just did both of them. Number one is verbal. 
okay? The, the first way that God, and, I, and this is in no order of priority, but one of the ways that God has given us to interact with one another is verbal. We can speak to each other, and this is a form of communication. The only other way that we interact with each other is through touch. There's only two ways. There's verbal, and then there's through touch. Those are the two ways that God has given human beings to interact with each other. Have you ever seen anything about the way that you speak in the Bible? Yeah, it's all over the place, right? There are low, if you want to just go home tonight and Google what does the Bible say about my words, you're going to be reading endlessly. You'll be in the book of Proverbs, you'll be in Psalms, you'll be in Jesus' teaching, you'll be all over the place about, the, about words. Proverbs 18.21 goes so far as to say that life and death are in the power of the tongue, Right? tremendous power that God has given in the words that we say, okay? And and none of us argue with that. We don't think that that's weird, right? Think about touch. This is the other level of interaction, right? Think about about even the most intimate form of touch. Even even sex within a marriage is a form of touch that, that brings great intimacy. God has designed that level of intimacy to bond two people together, right, in a covenant of marriage. You with me? So God, these things are, are extremely powerful. The way that God has uh, given us to interact with each other with, through touch and through, and through words are the only two ways, and, and they're both extremely powerful. We know a lot about words, and we talk a lot about, about touch when it comes to things like sex, but we don't really talk about, uh, about touch when it comes to something like a handshake. When it comes to something like what the scripture teaches in the laying on of hands. Now, if you look through the scripture, we're going to do this in a minute. I'm going to give you a small sampling. The... the uh, the power of touch is everywhere, all over Jesus' ministry. He uses the power to touch. There is almost every single time that a miracle occurs, there is a physical level of contact. Even to the point where the woman with the issue of blood reaches out and she what? She grabs Jesus. And it's in that, it's in that touch, there's power and there's healing that is released and exchanged. Touch is huge, but we don't really talk about it much except for kind of in that first, in that first category. So let's, let's start through the Hebrew grid. So that's kind of been our, our uh, I guess, our system here. Let's kind of start through, through the Hebrew grid. Okay, so we look into the law and we look, and we look at touch. And here's kind of some, some basic things you're going to find. I'm not going to go in depth on this. I'm going to give you a few reference points. But basically the biggest... Um, Obviously, you've got you've got uh, laws concerning uh, concerning sex and and uh, within uh, within marriage. You've got you've got those. But then, just in a on a uh, more casual level of touch, the biggest area that you see this is in what is clean and what is not clean. See, the law establishes uh, really really two things. It says, okay, this is a category of things that are clean. Okay, it includes foods. It includes it includes um, people and what what kind of makes a person clean or unclean. Uh, it includes uh, animals. It includes I mean, it includes a ton of different categories. It says, okay, this is what is clean and this is what is unclean. Okay, and there's great a great level of detail that has gone through to say if you are clean and you come into contact with something, something in one of these categories that's unclean through touch, uh, in Leviticus chapter 5 and Leviticus chapter 7, there are detailed instructions about washing and cleansing in order to become clean again, right? So the idea is that, that in contact with something unclean, there's a transfer, 
You with me? This is the, this is the, the kind of the Hebrew concept that there's a transfer, that, that things can be transferred. So if I, uh, if I touch an animal that's unclean, then that uncleanness through touch is now applied to me. I have now received part of what I have touched, and there's a process that I have to go through in order to get that uncleanness. I don't know if, that, I don't know if this is the right way to say this, but get it off of me, get it out of me, because I've become what I, uh, what I touched. Now, this is in a negative sense, but let's just understand the, the biggest, uh, the concept here. What does it teach? It teaches that in touch, there is transfer and sharing. You with me? And we, we know that this is true. If we just think generally, in touch, there is transfer and sharing, okay? So there's, there's a transfer of what's clean or what's unclean, um, and, and there's a sharing. I begin to take part in what I have, uh, in what I've touched. So let's move to the New Testament, okay? I know that seemed like a really, and I would love to do a study on that, at some point, but uh, let's go to Acts chapter 8. I know it was really brief again, I'm sorry. But uh, those uh, references again, Leviticus 5 and Leviticus 7, if you want to go back and kind of look at those specific uh, laws of cleansing. But go to Acts chapter 8. So let's start to look at where do we see touch and the laying on of hands in the scriptures? Acts is after John, Kindle. I'm like, where's Acts in the Gospels? Not there. Okay. Let's look at verse 14. Okay, so here's the, back, here's the backdrop. God's doing really cool things at the hands of the disciples. Uh, people are being healed. I mean, it looks a lot like Jesus' ministry, uh, and which is what it's supposed to look like. And it still is, but that's a different topic. Uh, so verse 14. Lots of cool stuff's happening. People are paying attention. Uh, now, when the apostles at Jerusalem, this is Acts 8, uh, heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here we go. Then they laid, uh, laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, what? Through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. That's a great idea, right? He says, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. And here's where it's not so good of an idea. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray, that the, uh, pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are uh, in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages um, of the Samaritans. So here's what I, here, all I want you to see here. Okay? What does Simon see happen? Okay. Simon sees a bunch of these people that are, that are claiming Jesus, right? The apostles come and they begin to lay hands on them. They begin to pray and lay hands on them. And all of a sudden, all these people that were just proclaiming this name of Jesus, now they're filled with something. Now this new life 
kind of is, is, uh, is alive in them. They're, they're, uh, the, through the laying on of hands, they what? Scripture says that they're receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, the details of this transaction are a different lesson for a different day. Because some of you are asking, well, wait a minute. Why did it, was there a delay? What, what's, the, what's the deal? Why are they just now getting the Holy Spirit? Did they have them before? Right? That's, that's a different topic, a different day. That's not what we need to see today. The point is, what we need to see is that the apostles came, and in the laying on of hands, those believers experienced supernatural power in the filling of the Holy Spirit. And Simon saw it and went, that's the trick. That's the trick. There is great power. When those men put their hands on people and pray, there is huge power released, and I want that, right? He says, I I want that. Now, he offers them money, and they obviously rebuke him and go, it doesn't work like that, and we know that it doesn't doesn't work like that. But what I wanted you to see is that he associated that transfer. Remember, it's a, it's a transfer. There's a sharing. He associated. He saw when they put their hands on them, whatever they had came to these people. Whatever, whatever power, whatever existed in these men, when they put their hands on and prayed, there was something that came alive in those other people. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 4. So we see the, uh, we see the power of the Holy Spirit associated uh, with the laying on of hands. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now this is uh, Paul's letter to a young preacher, to a young pastor, Timothy. And listen to what he says in verse 11. He says, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set, uh, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Here we go, verse 14. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders, what? Laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that, you, uh, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and hearers. Okay, so he describes, he's referencing a a, a moment where this council of elders, okay, and, and let's just read it again so that we don't miss it. He says, do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders lay their hands on you. So it might have looked uh, uh, something uh, like this. So there was, there was a, uh, a council of elders. He says, do not neglect the gift, right? So this group of, and we know we're talking about elders right now. It's a very fresh conversation in our church, but we're talking about elders. This is a group of wise and, and godly men who obviously got around Timothy and said, this is the gift that God has given you. We recognize and agree with this spiritual gift uh, that God has given given you, right? Did the elders give Timothy that gift? No, no. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. What do the elders do? They go, yes, this is true about what God has done in you. This is, that's prophecy. Prophecy is another one of these things that we get freaked out about, but prophecy is just agreeing with the word of God. It's just saying what is already true according to the heart of God. It's not a freaky thing to be, to be scared of. Prophecy is not just to tell the future. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes that happens. But the large portion of prophecy, especially within the context of the church body, is not to tell the future. It's to affirm in other people the word of God in their lives. And that's why we can't excommunicate prophecy from churches. It's another day. The point is, that happened. 
It'd be like me saying, listen, Nathan, man, I, I see that God has given you this tremendous gift of healing. That's a word of prophecy. That's just acknowledging what God has done. And I'm going to go, okay, and this group of men, we all acknowledge this together. There's power when that happens. Have you ever had a, a group of people that you really trust say this? I see this in you. Maybe you've had a teacher or someone that's, that you really spoke to something that you didn't know was quite in there, but they said, this is in you, and it stirred something. And you went, you know what? I begin to believe in myself a little bit more. Well, this is the same thing happening on a deep spiritual level. They're saying, Timothy, this gift is in you. And so we're going to come around, and we're going to pray that this gift would, would thrive in you, that this gift would come to fruition in you, that you would practice this. And Paul says, don't neglect the practicing of that gift that was given when the elders gathered around you and laid hands on you. It's a word of, it was a moment of confirmation. And Paul points to it in Timothy's life as kind of this bedrock for his strength in ministry. How many of us have those moments? Because we have thrown all these spiritual gifts out because of fear, I think we're missing huge things in our lives that God wants to do. Many of us can't ever go to a point where we go, this is when a group of trusted people told me what God had put in me and prayed that it would come to fruition. We're missing that, and so we just kind of wander about aimlessly trying to please God but having no idea how he's gifted us and how he wants to use us. Different day. Wow, we're touching all my different day sermons. <laughs> but here again, so in Acts 8 and then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, we get a little more specific look that it is the laying on of hands was used as a confirmation of a calling and gifts of the Spirit. Okay, go to Matthew chapter 9. I hope what you're doing is seeing a full picture because we're going to, we see in both of those instances the association of the laying on of hands, that confirmation, that transfer. Notice in all of these instances it's somebody that is operating in what they're giving away that's laying hands. You with me? So the apostles come. Are they living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. We know that they are. You read, you read back. We were in Acts 8. You read back. We, we, we can read testimony after testimony after testimony about them being full of the Spirit and obedient to the Holy Spirit. And then they come, and what do they, what do they lay hands on and give away? The Holy Spirit. Are they giving it? No, it's the work of God. But they're affirming and drawing out in people what they're already living in. And it's the same thing here. Paul is, is, doing, is, is uh, pressing Timothy and these, these council of elders that we know that they have to be, if they're the council of elders, they have to be full of the Holy Spirit and living by the Holy Spirit. That's the qualification for elders, right? They, 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 that has to be true uh, in their lives. And they're laying hands on Timothy and saying, this is true in you, right? It's a, it's a giving. Now, their hands are doing nothing in terms of the gift of God. And I'll show you that in just a minute. We have to go there. If we ever believe that we as human beings can give away things of the Spirit, that's where we begin to live in heresy, right? This is God doing the work, but it's men that are living in it that are affirming and giving it away in both instances. You're going to see this here as well, okay? So that's when it, as it has to do with the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Matthew, what did I say? Nine, are you there? All right. Here we go. Matthew chapter nine. Look at verse, um, yeah, look at verse 18. Okay. 
while he was saying these things to them, behold, a ruler came. Obviously, we're, we're, we're going to be talking about Jesus. Um, a ruler came and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Now, just that right there. What does that tell us? That that was a, that was a level of normal. And this guy, we don't, know the, we don't know the level of information that this person had. We don't know what they'd seen. We don't know if they'd seen a bunch. We don't know if they if just, just heard. But there was, there was uh, something that they knew. That if you will touch what is broken, what is broken will be made whole. We know at the end of the day that that's, that's the only thing that we know that they knew, but we know that they knew it because they said, just come and lay hands, right? All right. Lost my spot. 19. And Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. Two instances here. Two instances where we see healing associated with the laying on of hands. Now, Jesus, if you keep reading, Jesus goes and, and restores uh, this, person's, this person's daughter. Go to Luke chapter 4. So I know this feels like we're just jumping around a bunch, but I want you to get a good uh, holistic view. Luke chapter 4. Everybody good? All right. Here we go. Listen to this. And we, we just kind of breeze through these, all right? There's nothing written in red here, so we go, ah, it may not be important. <laughs> now, when the sun was setting, this is verse 40 of chapter 4. Oh, yeah, sorry. It's a lot of verses in that chapter. You might have to turn pages. Everybody always goes for the big, bold number, right? <laughs> you got to look at the little ones too. All right, here we go. Verse 40. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on a few of them. Nope. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons came out, came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. When the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them. Now, here, here we're starting to tread in some dangerous water because the sick here, then depending on what they would have been sick with, according to the law, the sick here would have been qualified as what? Unclean. And here we have Jesus in many of these instances where we see Jesus laying his hands on people, this would have been a violation of the law. Or at least it would have made him ceremonially unclean. But touch is about a transfer. And in the law, we saw that the transfer happened because of we, just, it's just men. The, uh, the transfer was from unclean, making that which was clean also unclean. But there's a new power at work here. There's a new model that's being displayed, and that model is that it doesn't work that way anymore. It works the other way around. That light has now overcome darkness. 
And now where light goes, darkness is dispelled. And now what is clean touches what is unclean. And what is unclean becomes clean because what is clean has overpowered what is unclean. That's good news for you and me who have been touched by God. And in every one of these instances, the, the power, can you imagine being, being sick to the point where the, the, your community has totally expelled you? Can you, can you imagine how warped your mindset would be if because of what you were dealing with physically, people would not come around you or associate with you? We see these stories over and over and over in the gospel. And then there's this man that comes and he doesn't even know you. And he goes all the way through the social barriers and he puts his hand on you. Just that in and of itself, the expression of love that that would be to say your uncleanness is not a barrier to me. I'm going to come and get in your mess and I'm going to put my hands on you. That's a powerful expression of the love of God. That's a powerful expression of the fearlessness that God has to go into broken areas. And Jesus would break that barrier over and over and over and over again. And in the laying on of hands, people were healed. Good grief, I got a long way to go. All right. Y'all right, we're just going to go fast. Can we just go fast? I don't want to do this in two parts. We don't have time. All right. So I'm going to give you some references, but instead of us going to them, I'm going to just give you the references, and you go back and read, and I'm going to summarize. Is that all right? So here's the idea. The idea is that what God has done in giving us uh, communication in words and in touch, that there is power in touch. There's, well, there's power in our words, we talked about it, but there's power in touch. God has chosen in his, in his sovereignty, in his perfect plan, God has chosen for you and me to be a huge part of what God's doing on the earth. He wants to use you. God has chosen to partner with mankind for his purposes on the earth to be realized. That's not a mistake. It's real. That's why we see Jesus say things like, uh, like what he said to the disciples. To say, okay, you're going to do greater things than I am. That's why the Great Commission is this transfer of power. Okay, here's what I did. It was an example. Now I'm going to fill you with the same thing that allowed me to do what I did. And you go do what I did. Until every nation on the earth hears the gospel, right? This is the idea. There's a tag you're in. I've talked about that a ton. Jesus does ministry. He says, tag, you're in. I'm filling you with the Holy Spirit. You have no excuses. Do what I did. He taught them this in Matthew 14. You remember how he, uh, he feeds the 5,000? And what happens? Jesus prays, and then all of a sudden in everyone's hands appears bread and fish, right? No. What happens? That's right. He, he, he takes the bread, he takes the fish, and he puts it into the disciples' hands. And as they pass it out, the miracle's produced. You see it? He doesn't fill up baskets. He doesn't say, bring, and then there's baskets full. And he says, okay, now go and take it out. The idea, I mean, what we're probably, can you imagine holding bread and passing it out and it never goes away? Right? I don't know if they were like seeing the bread grow back or every time they looked away, you know, they're like, I'm watching that bread. And, you know, like, I, don't know how that, <laughs> I don't know how that looked, but it just was endless. But you see what God chose to do. He could have done it a different way, but he chose to multiply it in the hands of the disciples. What's he saying? He's saying, listen, this is how it's going to work. 
I'm going to display my power. It's my power. It's my miracle. It speaks of me, but I want to do it in your hands. Your hands are to be part of the work. In the Great Commission, in Matthew chapter 28, so that first one is uh, Matthew 14, 13 through 21. Second one, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is the Great Commission. He gives authority, and then he promises his presence as his disciples do the work. We're called into the work. And here's the deal. So what does this mean with the laying on of hands? We saw the laying on of hands as a a means of uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. We saw the laying on of hands uh, as a means of healing. The laying on of hands is a function of God's authority, which he has given us in Jesus Christ. And it should be practiced regularly. It is a function of the authority that we have been given in Jesus Christ. It's not our own authority. It's not ours. I don't get to choose who gets what gifts to the Holy Spirit. And I, w- I wanted to go there, but here's the reference to that. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 11. In verse 11, what it says is the Spirit of God apportions to each one as he wills his gifts. I don't get to choose. That's good news. And you don't get to choose. But here's what we get to do as a body of Christ. We get to go, Clay, I see this in you. This is how the Spirit of God is using you. And I'm just gonna, I want to agree with that. I want you to continue to live that way. And so why don't anybody else see this in Clay? Let's get around and just pray that he would continue to live according to the, the gifts that God has given him by the Spirit, that he would continue to allow himself to be used by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to put hands on you and pray. You think you're going to remember that? Yeah, forever. That's the point. You think people that are, that are, uh, that are broken and outcast are going to remember when you go back, go past all the social uh, space, right? When you break the, the, the barriers and you go up to somebody who's broken and you just are willing to offer a, a touch. And can I pray for you? I'm, I'm willing to put my hand on that which is unclean. You smell fine. I don't mean that. <laughs> You with me? What we put our hands on was meant to be a communication of the power, the authority, and the love of God. And I've experienced this firsthand, and I've told you the stories. I, have, I know I've told you the, the story where I saw this for the very, very, very first time, the power that it had. We, I, was at a, I was at an event, we were, we were at the front answering some questions, and as we began to pray, I just saw myself going and putting my hands on the shoulder of a young man in the back, and so I just, okay, I'm going to just do this, and I went and I put my hands on, on, on his shoulders, just stood behind him, and he began to weep, and afterwards, he told me, he said, before you came and prayed, I was asking God, he said, I was in such a broken place, such a hurting place, and I just said, God, I just need to know that you see me, God, would you just touch my life? He said, the moment that he prayed that, my hand was on his shoulder. Now, my, there's no power in this hand. Nothing. There's no power of any, in any of yours. Look at them. There's no power in them. The power comes as we give our lives away to the Holy Spirit. And he lives in us and moves through us. And then our words and our touch become an expression of the power and the love of God. And we should not withhold that from each other. And we shouldn't withhold it from a lost and broken world. That's why over and over and over and over and over in the scriptures we see the laying on of hands, the laying on of hands, both to confirm what God is doing, both to confirm what God is saying by the Spirit, and to bring healing. And we need not be afraid. A few weeks ago, or last week, it was kind of a funny moment in here where uh, we got around Xavier to pray, 
And uh, oh, Case isn't in here. I'll, I'll tease him anyway. That's not a good practice, but I'm going to go for it. Uh, and, and I said, put your hands on his ankles. We're going to pray. Put your hands on, on his ankles. And he kind of looked at me for a minute, like, and I said, oh, I'm not kidding. Get down there and put your hands on his, on his ankles. We should not be afraid to do that. Now, please practice normal social barriers, okay? Okay? In all seriousness, dudes, if you need to pray for, uh, pray for a lady, you just stick your hand out. Don't, don't, no touch. Ask somebody else to come and pray. Ask another female to come and pray, okay? But we should not withhold one of the powerful elements that God has given us to express his power and authority from one another. It ought to be regularly practiced in the church. It ought to be regularly practiced in your group of friends to extend your hand, to confirm what God is doing, to pray for healing. God wants to use us as an agent to display his power and his glory. You with me? All right, let's pray. God, use us. Use us, God. We don't, we don't want to be afraid. And we just say to you even now, we're not afraid. We're not afraid. We'll go where you want us to go. We'll say what you want us to say. God, we will lay our hands on the sick and the hurting and the broken, and we will pray and we will ask to see you move. And we just pray that you would use us in that way. God, I pray that our touch this week, this week, just this week, God, give us moments where our touch can be a powerful expression of your authority and of your love. Amen. Amen. All right, you guys are dismissed, not released, but really hurry to the next room.